cliffcentral.com. Fire it up is correct, and that's what we do on the Burning Platform every single weekday, uh, well, every single Thursday, rather, here on cliffcentral.com. Today is no exception. We are joined by somebody who I haven't spoken to in a long time, and he looks healthy, and he looks uh, full of beans, and thank God for it, because he's looking after our tax money. He is Wayne Duvenage. Wayne, how's it, man? How are you? Hey, nice to be with you again, Gareth. I'm well, and the team as well, fighting fit. Um, you, you, you're a dull day. You survived COVID, huh? And uh, hopefully yeah. no, hopefully, nobody you, you know had any uh, tremendous suffering or worse uh, uh, over that period because it's been a hell of a challenge for the whole country, obviously, and for the whole world. It has. Yeah, it has. Uh, it, uh, you know, one hears and one knows of people who've uh, suffered and uh, and had losses, but but we've been fortunate, and uh, family, and 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 the outer family. So yeah, I'm glad to hear it. It's quite tragic. So Wayne, just to remind everybody, Wayne is of course the CEO of Alta, the organisation undoing tax abuse, and we'll talk a little bit about um, the, the the stories in the news in just a moment or two. But give us an update on what Alta's been up to. I know I've um, made contributions, and there are many other South Africans who do too. And you guys have been busy doing all kinds of things to make sure that people like um, Dudu Mieni are held to account. And you've had some pretty decent successes over the last while. So um, this is your chance to crow about the amazing things that you guys have been doing. <laughs> well, as you know, we started our challenging and irrational policy on the ETAL matter. Right. And it was in 2016 that, uh, that we decided to expand our mandate because uh, your state capture was in full flow at that stage. And we, we couldn't just tackle the, the big issue, which has started out as a business initiative to just set aside this bad decision, right. uh, which now we know was a corrupt decision as well, uh, not only an irrational one and an expensive one. And then um, uh, since then, we've done 209 projects, uh, some of them very short, some of them very costly and long, like the Dudumnieni Delinquent Director uh, Challenge. That one we set out in 2017. Uh, because nothing was happening and we, we had options to hold uh, politicians to account. We were laying charges against many of the cabinet ministers at the same time, pr- producing uh, 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 evidence to parliament to have uh, Zuma ousted in those days. Uh, and the, the snowball effect of civil activism, unusual, started to take shape for us because we felt we didn't want to just be a, uh, an NGO that um, exposed stuff, but we wanted to uh, be somebody or some entity that held uh, politicians to account, uh, hold their feet to the fire, start laying charges, start doing civil play cases against them. And so we, we started taking on a number of uh, cases uh, doing doing law ourselves, yeah. and to do that, Gareth, it's expensive, we huh? had to uh, employ. Yeah, it is, and that's why we employed our own legal team. So we've got wow. an advocate and legal specialist. So and uh, and it's been good. It's been successful, Wayne. I just want to focus on on the Dudu Mieni case because I think it's so instructive to those of us mm. who who are not entirely sure of what um, the, the 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 whole story was with Dudu because she was at the center of so much of the corruption that we've seen particularly around Jacob Zuma. You know, she was the the chairperson of the Jacob Zuma Trust, but she was involved in the demise of SAA, something which continues to confound us. And bizarrely, the Minister of Finance and many others keep talking about how we're going to, you know, reinvigorate SAA and bring it back to life. That business, that organization, despite being in the skies for as long as it has without an accident, which is remarkable, and obviously we don't wish that upon them, but... Mm. 
somehow they've managed to, to stumble along despite being completely hollowed out, uh, destroyed, stolen from in huge part by Dudu Mieni. And mm. she was orchestrating much of the destruction that we saw there. You guys decided not acceptable. We're going after her because she's a very important figure in the story of corruption in this country. What is the status quo in terms of that delinquent director case? Why was it important? And is it enough? A lot of people are saying, well, you know, she's not really being held to account because, of course, the NPA don't do their job. But but it is important, and I think you must explain why, because many people don't yeah. yet understand what the, the purpose of that was. Well, exactly, that. Uh, um, Gareth, we, you know, we were tired of laying charges and nothing happening, and the public were getting frustrated. So we took the civil action route, uh, civil litigation route, and said, well, how do you hold people to account? It's not just one uh, arrow in the, our quiver. You know, we laid complaints with Psycho on other directors and so forth, and we felt in Dudu's case... Um, and at that stage when we launched it, by the way, we, we, Zuma was in power. We didn't know where uh, she would go next. And we, tr- and we decided to bring a del- delinquent director charge against her in line with the Companies Act. And if, and if you can prove that an individual has acted that's not in the best interest of the company, uh, it's a- that individual's actions have uh, deterred and put that uh, organization at financial risk, um, they can be declared a delinquent director. Normally, up to seven years. So we, we felt let's, let's try that because mm. it hadn't really been done in this country. And we wanted to see if we could set precedent, which by the way is now leading to uh, us setting up a, a division. It's a specific unit focusing just on delinquent directors. And I can talk a little <laughs> bit about that. But so, so we, um, we set out on this journey, not knowing how long it would take. And how much it would cost? It cost us several millions of rands. Uh, we joined hands with the SARPA, the South African Pilots Association, who had more standing, but the judge gave us standing as well mm-hmm. as a civil action organisation. And and uh, long story short, um, after all the filibustering and and all the Stalingrad tactics, um, we uh, the court ruled in our favour, and not just for seven years, but for life. So she is now declared and in the CIPC system. Uh, as being a delinquent director. Now, what does that mean? Well, she cannot sit on a board. She cannot have make executive decisions. Uh, and, and, and so now she couldn't move from SAA to wherever she was going to go. Uh, and maybe she wouldn't even be put in a, in, in a, in a, in another SOE now, but, but hindsight is always, always an exact science. At the time, we knew sure. we had to do this, but we've, we've got great learnings now. So she can sit on that Jacob Zuma Foundation. Uh, organization, she can get paid a salary from them, but she may not make decisions and be put in a position of power in any organization in this country ever again. Wow. And that's good for South Africa. And that's coming the way of many of those other rogue directors in those SOEs. Well, I think it's terrific as an example. And to have set precedent there is just amazing stuff. But we don't have the resources as a country to be able to do this with every single one of these yeah. uh, corrupt people that are in, in the ANC and in government and in parastatals. So what is your what is your next step for those people who are looking at this going, well, this is great and well done. And obviously, most of us feel that way. The only ones who don't are the ones involved in the corruption. But but it makes it sets almost an unrealistic expectation from the public on what Alta can achieve. You guys are a non-government organization. You rely on public um, donations to stay in business, um, and you come from the corporate world. You know how hard it is to make money. Um, so mm. so what what are what are the realistic plans going forward? 
Well, the beauty of this now is that the NPA and the SIU and the Hawks are no longer in the hands of, of the corrupt cabal. Uh, and those institutions are being turned around. They are being fixed. And it's not, uh, it's not something that happens overnight. It's not the flick of a switch. And one starts to liken this to the uh, Operation Car Wash turnaround strategy in Brazil, where it takes a while to get this thing turning. Uh, it's like I always say, you, you know, you don't feel like things are happening fast enough, and they certainly aren't. But to to see a uh, to feel a big super tanker turning in the sea, you've got to look back. You've got to look at that wake and see, okay, we are actually going moving in a new direction, and that's what we believe is happening. So all the stuff that we've done over the years, the cases, the charges we've laid, even the Dudumnyeni matter, is now with the NPA. We are laying and pre- preparing. And this is the beauty about uh, civil activism in the way we do it. We use our teams to build strong cases, and we do what they call Section 27 referrals. We don't even go to the police anymore. We refer them straight to the NPA. We have done a lot of the work for them, and they are still undercapacitated. So, so we're able to assist in that way. Uh, we take our, our evidence, and we write the whole affidavits out for them in legal speak, and we just present it to them. And they take that, and it reduces the pressure that their investigators have and their prosecutors have to put a case together. And what's happening now we're seeing and feeling in the background is that these cases are starting to get momentum. And I think the floodgates on that, and I say that, but cautiously is going to start opening now. So they have all our evidence on Dudu Mnieni. Um A lot of the stuff went via the Zonda Commission. That is all coming into fruition now. And I know a lot of people feel the Zonda Commission might have been a waste of time. It certainly hasn't. There's some really good stuff there. I'm glad to hear that. And then going forward, we bring more and more of these cases. Yeah, I was getting a little bit downcast about the fact that we're wasting all this money at the Zonda Commission. But actually, that is the start of of what's going to eventually bring some of these crooks to book. Um, And certainly it's it's, it's frightened and, and alerted Many ordinary South Africans to the level of and the depth of corruption yeah. that has been per- perpetuated over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, Gareth, um, I, I liken that to you know the joining of the dots was done so well by people like yourselves and the media uh, out there. That, uh, but it was this joint the dot pictures and Zonda Commission came and added color to it. It added the brightness of how deep, as you say, and how how broad uh, corruption was, the state capture issue was, how many people were involved. It gave the opportunity for whistleblowers now to come forward, some under protection, and give the facts. Had we not had the Zonda Commission, the, the NPA would have eventually got there, but much it would have taken a long, long time. Uh, so this evidence is now sitting there in piles and piles, and they've got to wade through it, and, and they are using that information. The money flows in Transnet alone uh, are big matters and complicated matters, and uh, I think we're going to see some exciting stuff coming out of the Zonda Commission's work uh, going forward. They can't prosecute. The NPA has to prosecute. We can't prosecute. The NPA has to prosecute. So there's a lot of pressure on them. I think that South Africans are starting to understand, uh, belatedly, unfortunately, the value of non-government organizations and of civil society initiatives like Outer and like AFRI Forum and other people who have held the government to account. I mean, it's kind of revolting that we live in a country where in order to get government to allow doctors to make decisions about patients with regard to the ivermectin case, for example, yeah. that, that, that NGOs have to hold their feet to the fire. Um, 
any yeah. responsible government in the world, and and I I don't think that there are many that would have would have found themselves in the category of doing the right thing here. Um, I include uh, the United States and and the UK among these. Uh, surely the people who can decide best are the people in this case, the ivermectin one, who are closest to the problem, the doctors themselves, with the patients in their actual care. But there are yeah. there is there is so much government overreach, and there's so much arrogance from the top from people who are so out of touch with what ordinary people are going through it's no wonder mm. that the broad south african electorate has completely lost faith in the politicians yeah. oh yeah yeah look south africa uh, in, in the edelman trust barometer that gets measured every year south africa rates that are worst when it comes to citizens trust in government it's right it's uh, and understandably so, uh, you know. So when government says something, we don't trust them anymore. Uh, you know, uh, Fakil Mbalula has said we're going to find the and announce on the solution on etols ten times. We just don't hear him anymore. We don't believe what he says. What's what's and happened? Say, what's happened there? Because I I drive under these gantries. They're still being lit up somehow. They're still probably costing us more than than they're making for themselves to cover the yeah. costs of building the damn things. What's going on there? Well, for all intents and purposes, society has uh, made the decision for them. It's dead. It's co completely defunct. They've got about between 15 or 18 percent compliance. They're only just collecting enough money to pay for the collection process. Nothing is going into the tarmac from from that collection process point of view. It is being propped up and supported by the way it no. should have been done through our tax monies and allocations from Treasury. Uh, but sadly, we've wasted uh, uh, billions of rands in mm. building the most elaborate uh, electronic tolling scheme in the world that would never work and uh, government just now has to pronounce on the decision to pull the plug and they're finding it difficult for some reason all right so we've uncovered there has been corruption there so i just, I just want to stop you for a second this is interesting mm -hmm. information they, they it's it's only just in double digits that they're able to recover this money but i mm -hmm. i bump into people all the time who are good sensible um honest law-abiding citizens right they they mean well and they've been paying yeah. these these yeah. monsters at Sanral. They, I mean, I drive past the Sanral offices every time I go to Johannesburg and come back home. And it's a big building, and the, the parking lot's full of cars. I don't know what people are doing yeah. there. We're obviously paying for an enormous infrastructure of people, not just um, equipment. Now, yeah. if, if there's such low compliance, what do you say, Wayne, when someone says to you, but – I'm required as a law-abiding citizen, and it's a good argument. Mm. You know, we want working roads. Mm. I'm required to pay this. It is you're in dereliction of duty as a citizen if you don't pay yeah. Sanrel for the for these roads. And then you get people who just outright, like I do, refuse to to be complicit in corruption, which is exactly what you do when you give these people your hard-earned money. We're being taxed enough. We're paying enough for electricity. It is government's responsibility. The whole reason we pay taxes for roads and electricity and water and things like that. They're not doing that stuff for us. Why should we additionally have to pay for these places? How do you explain it, though, to good people like Leanne, who does the yeah. show with me? She's She's got a, an e-tag on her fucking car, and I can't believe it. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Gareth, it's, let me just put it this way. Uh, you know, we don't want to live in a society where tax revolts happen because uh, when it gets out of hand, you know, it's, it's one of those situations of be careful what you wish for yeah. because anarchy sets in and it comes close. But what happens is when government introduces irrational law, 
laws and the, where there are options that are better in the interests of society, but this one doesn't make sense. Uh, and you can smell the corruption, and over time you see it and then you find it. Um, you have to. You have to. We have an obligation as citizens to disobey unjust laws, laws that didn't involve our input, laws that uh, add additional un unwarranted expenses uh, to us, laws that allow funds to flow into corrupt hands. So, so when we uncovered all of that, we decided to test government's ability to enforce its own laws. And that's the big problem here. Government uh, makes the biggest mistake when it says we're just going to put something into law and the people will follow. Well, that didn't happen in a party. That didn't happen in past laws. Uh, your laws will break down if you behave like that. You've got to understand why you put laws in place and they have to be enforceable. This one never was. It was never going to be a user-pay scheme. And as you said earlier, these, this is infrastructure that is social infrastructure. We travel on these roads daily. We're not opposed to public-private partnerships. The long-distance toll routes yeah. are there for a reason. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We do build good roads and we need them. But this project was corrupt and irrational, needed to be challenged, and, and we've done it. Society has brought it to its knees. All right. So we, we mustn't give up, though, and this is an important no. message. I mean, rather support outer with the money you would have been giving, at least a tenth of the money you would have been handing over oh. at gunpoint to Sanrel. Uh, support Alta because they're at least going after people like Dudumieni and going after Sanrel and getting them to realize that we're not going to take this anymore. How close do you think we are to a breakdown between, I mean, Edward Kisveta at SARS has already indicated that he thinks it's much, much worse than people are saying. But if taxes are pushed up anywhere if if costs go up i saw that escom has put another 15 percent increase on all of wow. us um for, for unreliable product and and product that's much more expensive than it should be i mean you would never pay that it's only because they're a monopoly that they get away with this you'd never pay that for anything else um how close do you think we are to that anarchy you speak of because there are municipalities in south africa where people have had to take matters into their own hands because yeah. sewerage isn't working Water isn't working. Yeah. Roads are all broken up with potholes. And people have just said we're not paying the municipality anymore. We're yeah. just not giving yeah. you any money. And if you come and arrest us all, you're going to have a full prison and even less tax. Yeah. So uh, what, what you're painting is the microcosm of, of what happens. So at national, the national government and local government, two different entities. And let's talk national government. I think at a national government level, a tax revolt is, 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 un, it's, it's almost impossible because unless you get big business on board, uh, they are the ones who pay over the VAT, the PAYE, the company taxes. Uh, and, and when you buy your petrol, you can't say, well, fill up, but just don't charge me the uh, fuel levy. Yeah. All of those things at national level. And if you ever did get that right, well, when the ports aren't paid, when the police aren't paid, when uh, you know salaries aren't paid to teachers, and everything, you have a societal collapse completely. And then you say, "Oops, what did we actually do?" Uh, and you can't run a country like put all that money to a trust account and who's going to decide to pay what salaries. So it's very difficult at national level. Um, as much as sentimentally we would like to teach government a lesson. We'd be shooting ourselves in the foot, cutting off our nose to smile our face. But at local government level, it's a different picture. It's happening. The tax revolts are in full force. Uh, and, and you'll see in these local elections, the whole movement towards trying to set up independent candidates. Uh, and that's quite complicated, but, uh, 
but there's a movement there and there's a, there's a process unfolding. But you're right, even, even in current environment, uh, what civil society is doing in those uh, local municipalities is uh, setting up their own infrastructure repairs, holding back funds, winning in court, by the way, when they challenge those, those uh, councils. And doing this well, there's precedent there now. You can repair and claim back from the governments there, local government, municipalities. But they're also defunct. They're also broke. And you can't even go and claim their, uh, attach their desks and computers anymore. So it's becoming a bit of a nightmare oh. in local government. And and that repair job is going to be a bigger one. But we've got some exciting stuff we're going to be unfolding in the next uh, month or so as we build our, our community action network that empowers People organise civil society in local in municipalities mm. to start doing that in an orderly and a, in a constructive fashion, and that's uh, that's going to be an exciting journey we'll launch in about two months' time. Well, I'm I'm on tenterhooks to see what it's going to be because you guys. You really do what you say. You don't just say a whole bunch of things, which is exactly the opposite of what we're used to from politicians. I'm sure that you're not popular with them, uh, by the way. I'm sure that you get plenty of, of heat for this. Don't you wish you were still in corporate uh, employment, running uh, Avis or whatever it was? <laughs> um uh, you know, I look back and 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 what we've achieved uh, in this in this uh, uh, active citizenry unusual space. Mm. Uh, and no, I think this is far more exciting. This is uh, this is really doing good at the same time. Uh, it it empowers it empowers people. It energizes our team. So no, I, you know, look at corporate the corporate world, and it's just too focused on on inward uh, profit motives. At the cost of society, it frustrates the hell out of me, Gareth. When I when I see the corporate world really just look away from stuff that they should be tackling, and that's they, why you have uh, the McKinseys the, and the Bains of the world just behaving. The corporate the corporate world <clears throat> is just as rotten as anything else. Of course, it's private <sighs> no. money, and I'm always careful to point out to anybody who tries to equate them as being equally bad. Mm. The corporate world yeah. may be as rotten, but it's not equally bad for the rest of the country um, as yeah. as the, the the wastage of public money and and the theft of public money is, but you know sometimes I think about how craven and how how spineless the 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 businesses in South Africa are to stand up to government and to actually voice. And I understand that there are there are huge pressures upon them. You know they are they're pressured by unions from within. They're pressured by mm. by the contracts that they have with government and the threat that that will be withdrawn at any time. I mean government is the biggest player in our economy, even if they're defunct. Mm. When do you think, when do you think that breaking point will come? And again, your experience is unique because you've gone from being in the corporate world and having to sit in those board meetings and having to deal with the stupid politics that gets in the way of ordinary market forces and profit and loss. Um, and, and then you, you've gone out of that and gone into the world of NGOs where actually you're really fighting for the people. Yeah. It's, <coughs> excuse me. It's, um, <coughs> it's, it's hard work the NGO space because it is all about uh, funding. You you know you can't run a successful NGO on on volunteers. Uh, I'm afraid it's we tried it uh, at some stage, but it's you know volunteers are here today, gone tomorrow. You need longevity. I mean that Dudu case, as I said, took years to do. All a lot of our projects take a long time, and uh, so you need people on board, but you need professional people. You need skilled people. You. Uh, you've got to pay rent. You've got to pay data. You've got to uh, pay your subscriptions, and so and so. It's it's like a business. And when you run an NGO like a business, and you can get the people behind you, and that's what I think's made 
outer uh, partially su- successful in its in its funding model in that it is funded by the people for the people. So it's a crowdfunded mechanism that I say partially because we should be double our size. We should have 80, 90 people. We've only got 44 people uh, working for us doing this work. And that's still a lot more when you compare it to other other NGOs and and the money goes on salaries. It's seventy percent of it goes there. You've got to no energy, nothing happens. Energy in a business is driven by people and what they bring to 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 the party and how we uh, tackle these various projects. So um, uh, we've got to keep working harder. Uh, we've got to keep uh, convincing the people that we are relevant and 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 I think we're doing that quite well. I wish we could just you know, wave a magic wand and, and, no. and have so much more. You know, I, I, that's I, I, life. You know? Yeah, I don't want to be unrealistic about this. Let's just let's put it this way. You are one of the few people who's actually doing something rather than just talking about it. Um, you and, and the rest of the, the, the brilliant people at Outer. So from that point of view, we are thrilled. And I don't want us to I don't want us to have unrealistic expectations of what you can mm. achieve because you're not government. Yeah. And, you know, people are looking no. for a savior. They're looking for a hero to pull them out of this mess. And there, there is no such thing. We have to do this ourselves. So Wayne, let's just go on to some of the stories that are in the news this week. And maybe you can explain mm-hmm. the Zwelim Kize Altus, well, not Alta, the Zwelim Kize um, digital vibes saga. Now, Zwelim mm-hmm. Kize has had a busy year. And by and large, most people are agreed that he did as good a job as health minister as we could ever have expected and perhaps out, you know, outdid himself in terms of of dealing with corona. Other people have criticized him heavily, but compared to other governments in the world, I think that's probably a little bit unfair. What he did do, however, is he he failed to exercise due oversight, or perhaps he was actually complicit in some corruption around this company called Digital Vibes. Do you want to explain to us what actually happened? Because I'm not entirely sure. I tried to read it. I tried to understand from the Daily Maverick, but I must be honest with you, I'm I'm lost. It is. It, it, it's it's a simple case of people working within government, understanding how it works, having a close relationship with people in authority, and then breaking out of that government and saying, well, you know, we've got a close relationship. We'll do this in a way at an arm's length to make sure that uh, uh, we, 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 we don't uncover too much uh, uh, unnecessary rule breaking. And, uh, and we'll set up a company and do business with government. It's, a, it's, 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 and this is a modus operandi, by the way, across the board. Uh, and why it's important in, in his case is he knows these people well. There are photo, there's enough photographs, uh, photographic evidence out there that the two individuals, um, are very close to him and, and, and they are friends. They are family friends, household friends. And then you start seeing the modus operandi. They carefully didn't put themselves as directors of this company. So you don't see their names when you do the CIP searches. But this is the beauty about what's happening in civil activism now, whistleblowing, <laughs> people giving evidence. And it starts to show that they are actually calling the shots. And the prices they are charging for work that, that shouldn't even be done by anybody externally. I mean, to, to, to command millions of rands to set up an interview with SABC uh, on the second <laughs> wave of coronavirus. I mean, that's stuff that your internal, your PA does, your internal uh, comms mm-hmm. department does. You do not outsource that stuff. I mean, the SABC opens their doors to politicians, especially cabinet ministers like that. They don't need to have somebody providing that services to usher them in and, and find the time. So it's absolute nonsense what has happened. Um, it's mega millions of rands. It, it is self-enrichment. You, if you look at the money flow, it goes into that digital vibes account, and the next day it's gone. 
uh, and it's split up into other different accounts. That is money laundering. Uh, and, uh, and now for Zwilliam Kize to sit there and say, look, I didn't benefit from this. You know, I'm not the bad, bad person here. That is absolute nonsense, Zwilli. This happens on your watch. You know what's going on. You should be questioning what are your friends even doing? Uh, having uh, money flowing from your department to their bank accounts. That's your first question. Tell me, uh, Wayne. And you should stop that straight away. It's multi-millions of rand. So he how, is, uh, he, he cannot wipe his hands off this issue. He's how easy, how is he, easy is it to, can you, sorry. <clears throat> sorry, you're on mute. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. I, I sometimes go onto mute and have to remind myself. <laughs> so how easy is it now, thanks to, technology and to the digital tracking of money. I mean, all the banks have to be very careful about how money is moved between them. Um, it's obviously all of this has a, there's a record somewhere. Is it, is it easier now than it has been before yeah. to trace this kind of money? Because doing the cash deals like, uh, you know, uh, Malusi Gigaba used to do with the Guptas, that's very hard to, to orchestrate these days, isn't mm. it? Mm. Yeah, it is. It is, but uh, fl- following money uh, through banks is, is a lot easier. Uh, and by the way, the banks are complicit in so much stuff. But uh, for instance, even in Hong Kong at HSBC, we followed and fl- uh, the money flows uh, from Transnet uh, through to Il- Salim S's accounts and the Gupta's accounts there into another 160 accounts. And, and the beauty of it as well, so there's these digital fingerprints, uh, and then you have whistleblowers within that give you that information. Then you get work with the uh, authorities, the uh, uh, Interpol, the police, and, uh, and 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 people who have access uh, by demanding that information from those banks. So you provide them with here's the stuff. Go and f- go and fetch it legally. We've got it through whistleblowers, uh, and then you start to put the two together and suddenly you have a lot of good evidence. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great technology and, uh, and, and, and just social media and the ability to share information uh, is, is powerful. We never, we never see this, but you told Zwelim Keys in this case that, or you said that it would probably be a, a, the right thing to do to step aside or recuse himself or even resign. Yeah. But of course that yeah. never happens in the ANC, does it? Nah, very seldom, not at all. Uh, we haven't seen it. I mean, in many countries around the world, uh, if you're accused of stuff like this, you do step aside, right. you do step down and resign. Yeah, we don't see it uh, with our politicians. Okay, let's, so talk, let's talk about the National Prosecuting Authority for, for a moment. They said that former President Jacob Zuma was guaranteed a free and fair trial in the corruption case against him, as per his constitutional rights. Obviously, his people are saying, uh, including, you know, Carl Niehaus, uh, Tony Yengeni, uh, Ace Marashule, they're saying, no, 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 there's definitely a, um, a, a witch hunt on the go here. Now, I am of the opinion that Jacob Zuma is being scapegoated for a lot of things that are not his fault, but there's an enormous amount that he is responsible for. So while I will admit that there are probably people who are sitting in cabinet at the moment, maybe even people in, uh, in, in the, the presidency who ought to be aware of the fact that they cannot completely, uh, you know, manage to, to obfuscate forever. And they can't by any means discount themselves from decisions that were made in cabinet. This man was um, at the head of government while all of this was taking place in the most brazen fashion possible. And it is, yeah. it is only thanks to hard work by journalists. It is only thanks to hard work by non-government organizations and in, in large part opposition parties 
that we even know about this stuff now. Thank God for the Zondo Commission. Jacob Zuma has shown himself to be in contempt of all of these processes. And for him to now claim that he's being singled out, while that may be true in some cases, is not true in general. What do you feel? What do you feel needs to happen here? Because he's saying now that the judge should recuse himself, the prosecutor should be taken out. He wants uh, Billy Downer, the state prosecutor, to be uh, removed, and he wants someone else. He's also calling the DA a hostile political party, and the Downers associated with them. This is this is this is that Stalingrad stuff you were talking about earlier. Yeah. No, d- definitely. Look, Jacob Zuma is desperate and he's doing everything he can to stay out of court. Because once he's in there and once he has to answer the questions and the evidence is so clear, he's in trouble. And if he's found guilty, he has to go to jail. That's as simple as it is. And so what he's done for the last decade and a half is to stay out of the courts. And he's done everything he can right down to now trying to ask the prosecutors to recuse themselves. There's no basis, uh, you know, and, and the question we always have for him is, Jacob, if you are as innocent as you claim, you are just getting to court and answer the questions. Let the courts decide. Why is why do you think there is this conspiracy against you? We are trying to get Esmagashulas of the world, the Mosa Benzizwani's, Faith Matambis. They've all got to also line up and get into court, as do the businesses on the other side of the corruption coin, the people involved in the in the money laundering and that, the Jacobs, uh, the, uh, the 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 Guptas and the Kizes of the world. Everybody needs to answer. Uh, so so let's um let's just hear what you have to say. Stop trying to stay out of court in the Zonda Commission because you're doing yourselves no favors. The whole is just getting so deep for him, man. Yeah. but he will eventually get there. They will get so, there. And uh, you'll have to answer. Do, do you think the do you think the politics of the current uh, situation in the ANC are going to help us? Because now that the battle lines are drawn, and now that there are there are two distinct factions, and it's now public, and they can no longer carry on with this nonsense story of that the ANC is a broad church, and you know these comrades are with those comrades, even though those ones might have had their hands in the till at some point. It's now starting to become clear that the public are pissed off that the ANC themselves are starting to look at their reputation and in the mirror, starting to see that they've been found wanting. Do you believe that Cyril Ramaphosa will now finally act decisively and force the National Prosecuting Authority to go after these people? And isn't there room for some kind of court, a special court that could be set up? You can get retired judges. You can get people who understand the law. And you can set up a much cheaper, much more efficient process to take what the Zondo Commission has has given us in terms of information and start implementing prosecutions in a much more speedy and efficient way where ordinary members of the public can go and present evidence, whistleblowing evidence perhaps, uh, suspicion of people involved in municipalities, parastatals, national government, give that information to the court, and that that cost of all of that will be borne by the taxpayer, because Wayne, you're you're at the organisation undoing tax abuse. But believe me, if all of my tax money was used mm. to combat this, I would yeah. go to sleep yeah. at night feeling that I'd contributed to something good. If they took, yeah. if they even added a five percent, uh, you know, exactly. surcharge to everything yeah. that we we pay for in this country, it would burn a lot of us. We'd be really angry about it. But if it was used exclusively to take down these corrupt people and try to get back some of that money, I think we'd all be more than happy to pay it. Yeah. 
Yes, you're quite right. And and this is where, uh, without sounding like a, a Roma cause of support, because I also get frustrated with him. Uh, again, as I said earlier on, to see the tanker turn, you will look back. And let's look back. I mean, he can't instruct, by the way, the NPA. The NPA have got to do the work. They've got to be independent. That's why Hermie and Trenier, the independent directorate, was set up as well. And so you see the building blocks of the corruption fight being built. Uh, the SIU doing some great work at the moment to straight capture uh, the, the, these, uh, um, these special, special investigations unit. Yep. And um, the Hawks now starting to play their role. So what happens is after these institutions have been hollowed out, takes years to build them up, and the floodgates, as I said, are being built up. The cases are getting stronger and, and, and being put together. Uh, and then you have uh, uh, the ANC now having to deal with step aside. Um, even even Ramaphosa saying the other day, Vote the corrupt politicians out in the local elections. He's basically saying those ANC officials in every municipality out there that steal your money, get rid of them. Now, yeah. you would never have heard that before. Uh, a year ago, if you had have asked me, would Ace Magashula uh, be charged and be kicked out of the ANC, we would have all laughed. We were laughing. People were laughing at us when we were saying these are the realities that could start to flow. Well, they're happening right now. Mm. Um, Ace is going to be in jail, I mean, in court in August, facing the charges uh, while he was in a uh, premier. This stuff, Gareth, is is building now, and you can see the ANC has no choice. It has to rejuvenate itself. Otherwise, it's going to lose the elections. It was a party and remains still largely a party that is funded by corruption. Right. It's as simple as that. Now, those taps are drying up. What's happening? They can't pay salaries. So what are they doing? They're getting rid of the corrupt and the bad and the inefficient people in Latuli House first. And so this this, this cleanup, this tree is being shaken in many regards, and this is good news for this country. Yes, we need corruption courts. Uh, by the way, ARTA and a number of other organizations, we sit on the National Anti-Corruption Strategy Forum, where we are building all of these things and suggesting to government, we're working with government to put in place these building blocks to fight corruption, create more transparency, mm -hmm. and transparency in procurement. Transparency is the enemy of corruption. And the more you have transparency and, and accountability, the fight starts to take shape, and that's what's happening at the moment. So it's it's a good story, but it's a frustrating one because it's not happening fast enough. Well, I'm very glad that we've had you on this morning because it's rare that we get a chance to talk about these things in an extended way. Um, but I do want us to just turn our attention to one or two of the of the other civil liberties issues that are going on. So the DA um, on Tuesday launched a petition against the Firearms Control Amendment Bill. This is something that's been driving me absolutely mad. I don't know whether you're a firearm owner or not, what your feelings on this are personally, or if you've discussed it at Outer as an issue that you're going to, to take up. But I think that it is bizarre in a country where we have the levels of crime and violence that we do. You know, we we all start wailing and gnashing our teeth for 16 days of activism. We all acknowledge mm. that we have the worst rape statistics in the world. We acknowledge that we have familial murders that are through the roof. We have people who are unable to, to walk home or walk to work safely in the morning because there are predators mm. around every corner. We know those problems exist. They are they are, they are uncontroversial um, in terms of the numbers. They're, they're controversial in terms of the fact that they're actually happening. Yeah. We also know that most South Africans cannot rely on the police force because our police force has been denuded of any real skills. Yeah. It has become a sheltered employment racket for ANC cadres and for people who really have no skills and no abilities. And there are good police, but they are few and mm -hmm. far between. 
and anyone who's been to a police station anywhere in South Africa, you will get one good story and 20 bad ones, roughly. Now, Becky Kele, in all his wisdom, a man who, by the way, walks around with about eight or nine bodyguards everywhere he goes, all with fully automatic rifles. This man has the temerity to tell ordinary South Africans that it is unacceptable for us to own firearms for our own protection. So what he's really saying is, you are not allowed to defend yourself. And we're not going to help you because the police are too busy protecting me and all the other crooks. What we're trying to do is make you more vulnerable to our theft. That's basically it, right? Look, uh, Gareth, we are we are taking this matter up, as are many. Uh, I think we're all outraged, and you're quite right. This is I don't think it'll ever come about. Uh, we have a constitutional right, so the Constitution says we have a right to defend ourselves. And it is diabolical when the state reduces the police budget and increases the uh, VIP protection unit's budget uh, uh, up to 1.7 billion rand Correct. now. I mean, as you did, just said, that's crazy. Uh, we'll protect ourselves as, uh, as people in authority, but you guys are going to get less, and we're going to change the laws to, to make sure that you can't even defend yourselves. Uh, uh, it's just ludicrous. It's not going to happen. It's going to be fought on every front. They will never be able to push that through. I think what they're trying to do is tackle their own inefficiencies. They just can't manage the whole firearm licensing process. No. And it's a I mean, symptom you, of poor administration. You've seen those um, every sector. You've seen the the, um, the 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 central firearms control registries uh, offices with those papers piled no. sky high and none of them being processed. You know, if there's any group of people in this country who you can trust to be law-abiding, skilled, capable people, it's legal firearm owners. They're probably the most responsible people you will find in South Africa. They're also the kind of people who look after their children, make sure there's food on the table, make sure that they they pay all their bills, they pay their taxes, and they make sure that their firearm licenses are up to date. These people are extra responsible, and yet they are the ones being punished. The problem in this country, yeah. if there is a problem with guns, is not with legal firearms. It's with illegal ones. Illegal, yeah. And the administration. And, and that's it. So, so again, this is a problem that permeates every department in, in, in our state, and that is bad administration, the inability to, to do what they have to do to keep us informed, uh, to, to process licenses. So you see driver's license problems coming and, and, and gun license problems. I mean, the government can't even produce a green drop or a blue drop report in the, in the quality of its water anymore because administration is just so poor. Education is just so poor. Health, you go and look at what happens to the, the poor who just cannot afford private health care in the clinics and the hospitals and how they are treated. Uh, it's just, I don't it's want to tell you the stories. It's, it's horrific, but people are left to die in the corridors of, 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 of government health uh, facilities. It's just, uh, we, that's, the way, that's where the real work has to happen. The efficiencies and the modernization of government is, is, is so important. And I think this, this, this issue of catered deployment and nepotism is also one that Cyril is talking about, and it is a big one. If we can fix that, yeah. If we can stop the cadre deployment and get professionalism back into government, uh, then I think we're on, 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 on the right track.
It'll take a while. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry that it's all been about corruption this morning, but you know, unfortunately, that's what you talk about. And I wouldn't want to waste that's the opportunity. Really I wouldn't want to yeah. waste the opportunity to talk to you about that when, you know, if you and I were sitting here talking about, well, it's really cold this winter, or isn't it, <laughs> isn't it nice that, uh, you know, that Cyril's wearing X and Y tie this week? I, I really don't yeah. want us to waste time. The last thing then on, on this matter, because, I'm, uh, I'm going to end the burning platform a little earlier than, uh, than usual this morning. But Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon has said that the progress that has been made in clawing back money looted from state-owned entities is, uh, is a start. Uh, do you agree that they're at least trying? And what's your feeling on Pravin? Because certainly there are mixed emotions about that man. He's been in charge of many of, of, of these state-owned enterprises through the time when they were being looted, and he seems to have either turned a blind eye or have been blissfully ignorant of all of it. And now he says, well, we're getting back some money. You know, there's, there's an engineering company that used to supply ESCOM that has had to repay $1.5 billion. McKinsey's paid $1 billion back to Transnet. There's a 171 million rand claim against Deloitte, which has been launched. So he's, But these are small, small amounts compared to what's been stolen, right? Yeah, look, I mean, this is stuff that has to happen. So don't claim victories when we saw that, or you know, or that's what you expected to do. And we, we, we've been saying to the state, and I think they're starting to do it now, especially in Eskimos. Andre Durate is doing a great job. We're saying to the state, go and fetch those people who put those institutions, those SOEs into the state they're in. You go after them. I mean, yeah. it shouldn't have had to be left up to out to get the Dominion declared delinquent. The mm-hmm. current boards of those entities have got all the evidence. They've got the minutes of the meetings. They've got the, uh, the accounts and the money flows. They should be going after these individuals and locking them up. So it doesn't help even for ABB just to pay back the 1.5 billion rand. Go after those directors, lay the charges, right. put them in jail because they're part of the problem as well. So, so yes, it's good to hear this and the SIU starting to do all this stuff, but there, there's just so much more. We want the uh, Coco Machelas, we want mm-hmm. the uh, Brian Malefes, we want Anosh Singh. Those guys shouldn't be walking the streets. They no. should have cases far advanced being put against them, and that's the role oh, of those institutions. I mean, so some, more. some of these guys are, are living in luxury. Some of them are, are, are having, Absolutely. you know, they've got their kids in private education. They've got private health care. They're living in mansions with many, many uh, bedrooms and gardens mm-hmm. and tennis courts and swimming pools. These people are not suffering at all for their crimes. No, they've, and we've paid for all of that. They could never have achieved and earned, uh, you know, that type of wealth on their salaries. So it's simple, uh, you know, do the uh, um, uh, do the lifestyle audits, uh, uh, introduce the assets forfeiture units uh, role, and, mm-hmm. and and it has powers. And go and get all the stuff back, uh, yeah. uh, but they take too long. And then our frustration with Praveen, and he's supposed to be and is a reasonable and sensible person, but to bail out SAA the yeah. way it's doing, to allow monies to be flowing to their to their decrepit uh, subsidiaries, uh, when we've got bigger issues to do, and then to go and cut the budgets of SIU and 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 the NPA, well, it just doesn't make see, sense. I mean, it's just the problem with Praveen Gordon is that he's an efficient man who believes that things should run properly, and he believes in you know keeping an accounting of these things. But ideologically, mm. he's still a commie, and yeah. unfortunately for us, he believes in an efficient socialist government, which is still going to hurt people more than 
an inefficient socialist government will. So anyway, let's let's leave it at that way. And I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. Please keep fighting the good fight at Outer. It's hugely important for all of us. And if you are not already a contributor to Outer, if you if you have an extra ten rand or twenty rand, please think about making a contribution monthly or annually. Um, they are a really tremendous organisation that are actually fighting for you. They do more for you probably than your government does at the moment. So do support them where you can, and let's see if we can keep these wheels turning and stop the gravy train's wheels in its tracks. Thanks very much. Very Thanks, nice to Gareth. see you. The there we go. That's uh, Thank you, Wayne. Wayne Duvenage, who is with Alta, he's the CEO there, and um, they really are doing God's work <laughs> to fight with government corruption.